Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I am good. I'm excited about the guests we have today. Yes. Don't I'm keep a- me in, in suspense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited as, as well. Uh, we have David Manya. He is the chief, uh, innovation, uh, sorry, chief information officer and chief evangelist at Team Comrie. And um, David, thank you f- so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks very much for having us. Uh, David, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. Just it's a, usually an easy question, <laughs> just to get our uh, our uh, loyal listeners and viewers to become acclimatized with uh, with our guests. I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about your career narrative. What's brought you to where you are today? Sure, absolutely. So originally, uh, I uh, out of high school, I enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, became a non-commissioned officer there. Uh, and when I got out of the Marine Corps, it was right at the kind of time when. Um, you know, technology was uh, becoming much more a, a present in our day to day life and, and the technology specifically, I would say, you know, the Internet, if you think of it, that, you know, era. Uh, and as uh, I came out of the Marine Corps, I happened to be at the right place at the right time uh, as far as history goes uh, and kind of uh, the industry uh, that is the Internet today was kind of opening up. Um, I did, you know, basic sysadmin stuff. I worked for uh, a university, got into high performance computing um, and building like large, uh, you know, large scale high performance systems. And we had a security incident and uh, no one had really thought a lot about, uh, you know, what is security and, and how does it, you know, relate to all of this technology we're doing? Well, there were people in the world who were thinking about that because they were breaking into computer systems all over the world. And uh, we had this big high performance computing system that had gotten a compromise. And then uh, from there, I, I was able to kind of pivot into uh, doing security work because I was one of the few people uh, in our teams who kind of understood that. Eventually, uh, I got uh, the chance to go help uh, start the um, research and education networking ISAC, which if you're not familiar, uh, there is an ISAC for each uh, kind of sector of in- a national infrastructure. I got to help uh, start that. Uh, and then from there, I got invited uh, to come join Team Cymru, uh, where at Team Cymru, we produce, uh, for the most part, threat intelligence, um, uh, some attributive intelligence, things like that. But uh, we really uh, we focus on understanding what bad guys are doing in the world uh, and making sure that people are able to react and respond uh, to those actions. That's very good. Thank you so much for that introduction. It sounds like you've been in the game for a long time. And uh, I'm actually somewhat familiar with you because of your future of cyber risk podcast. It was uh, amazing to hear uh, some of those episodes. You have such high caliber uh, cyber leaders and practitioners on there asking such helpful questions. And uh, it was basically chicken soup for for my soul to to listen to them. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. So starting with something called the attack surface. Um, it's mm-hmm. a cybersecurity uh, term um, that we use. Um, can you define in business plain language uh, what the attack surface is and how does one go about trying to manage that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in its most simple terms, you could think of your attack surface as maybe the edge of where your network is. Um, and a lot of people uh, approach security in particular in this fashion, right? They uh, they look at, do we have a firewall? Uh, you, know, it, uh, you know, are our um, network assets protected? But in reality, that's just the beginning. That's just the piece of it, right? Like, so for example, maybe your company uses Amazon Web Services, you know, AWS. Well, you, if you're thinking, 
of your network being where your uh, attack surface ends, you're not you're missing all of those external services that you have because your true attack surface is uh, everything that you're using. So it could be outside services. It could be cloud providers. It could be, uh, to be honest, it could be your employees who work from home uh, and connect from their home network. And that time when they're connected to you, they are now an extension of of your attack surface. And so uh, the term itself is uh, uh, largely applied in like a holistic sense so that you don't unnecessarily limit what it is you're trying to protect. So it's it's a concept of including all of the facets, all of the components that make up your uh, technology reliance. Okay, very well defined. And so we call it the attack surface. Who on earth, other than insiders that are doing it accidentally or on purpose, would want to attack your assets? Um, well, uh, there's a lot of motivations in the world for people to go do those. Some are ideological. Uh, you know, there is hacktivism where people uh, get mad at a company before something maybe they said or they don't enjoy their product or whatnot. People get into those situations. There's a lot of scenarios where um, adversaries are financially motivated. So including in some cases, we've identified there are nation state actors that are responsible, for example, for ransomware because of, you know, global sanctions against them make it hard for them to make money. So they start to make money that way. Well, there's also all kinds of cyber gangs that are doing that same method. And then lastly, kind of uh, there's the category of people who want to get your trade secrets or they want to know um, where you are investing. They want to know where you're uh, going to be you know, opening up a new facility. So perhaps they can go buy the land before you get it, uh, you know, things like that, uh, which I would fall into kind of the corporate espionage. And then in that category, I would I would call nation state actors uh, who are looking after intelligence. I, I would include them in there as well. Um, but unfortunately, uh, there's uh, a, a long list of people who would be happy to attack your uh, network and get get access to your assets. Absolutely. So, David, with all, all of the above, or at least many of the above, they're going to be conducting reconnaissance on their target victims. Um mm -hmm. But I understand that you uh, have experience in uh, doing this in reverse, uh, conducting reconnaissance uh, on them. So how, how does one go about doing this and what are the advantages of, of doing such things? So in our case, um, you know, to be uh, to, to like, I guess, better define uh, what that is, is so um, as we go through the effort of kind of understanding what our miscreant operations uh, looking like on the Internet at a given time, in order for us to accomplish that, we have to uh, look at the Internet as a whole. Uh, and we work with uh, various partners we have around the world uh, in the networking world. Uh, to help us understand, uh, you know, how are people misusing the Internet at a given time? Well, in the course of doing that, we build up a lot of insights, um, some of which are come in the form of what you could think of as a reputation data related to specific IP addresses. Right. So uh, when you think of any device that's accessing the Internet today, it uses an IP address, not dissimilar to, say, a phone number or something like that. Uh, and those uh, IP addresses, uh, they may be probing other IP addresses on the Internet. They may be sending spam. They may be, you know, conducting various, uh, you know, what's called poor behaviors. Uh, and we see that information. Uh, we see a lot of that. So what we're able to do is, uh, as you described, somewhat passively, really uh, know something about 
about a, tar- uh, a network uh, because we can see how it behaves online because we look at it from the you know from the other direction. So instead of having to do like an active scan on someone, we can see that they're scanning us because we run uh, you know thousands of sensors around the uh, around the globe that are looking. They're, they're, in many cases, they're even pretending to be vulnerable to to attack so that they can try to elicit some adversary to come specifically try to attack it again so that we can know something about that bad IP. Um, so, but in the end, uh, what we end up with was, is this really, really large view of the internet. Uh, that's, uh, kind of like a collection of who's doing bad, uh, on the internet. Uh, so that includes all of these kind of adversaries. So, but if you, uh, wanted to, from one direction, you could see that, uh, reputation data as something that you could use to like maybe block things. So think of it in the sense of like how a firewall might be. But if you turn that lens around, it gives you an idea of what adversaries are doing, where they're doing it from, how they go about doing it, and so on. So it ends up being threat intelligence that's applicable in kind of both directions. David, I, I want to ask you, um, this is maybe a bit of a broader question, but um, you know, f- we still see a lot of organizations that are still, let's say, early on in their maturity journey you know, as it relates to, to cybersecurity. And you know, they're, they're, they're like, well, if we can only spend you know, X amount of dollars on, uh, on security right now, what are those one or two security controls that you would see as being most effective for an organization that's trying to, again, go from, you know, never really caring about cybersecurity to trying to take that first leap forward? Where, where would you say that they should be investing those dollars? Um, so that can be a tricky one to answer, right? So there are industries that have regulatory uh, aspects to them that kind of make that decision for you. Uh, and I would also urge people to, before they even consider uh, applying policy in the form of controls, that they understand what they have to begin with. And and, uh, asset discovery, uh, knowing what you have uh, is where I would tell people to start before you try to secure anything know what you have. Um, you know, if you get a home alarm system, you don't just, uh, you know, it doesn't just come in a box with a random set of stuff. You go count all your windows, count all your doors. You go and look, you know, where, where should I put cameras? And you do these kind of ac- this exercise to determine that. And I would argue that cybersecurity is, is no different uh, of a process. Um, you have to start with this assessment. And when it comes to attack service monitoring uh, uh, and management, you have to have uh, a part of it that's watching for kind of, you know, the ever changing aspect of of a business, which is uh, technology comes and goes. Right. Like uh, even like let's use retail as an example. So point of sale systems break every day. So that means a new one has to be deployed. But if your if your security mechanisms aren't aware that this new device has been added to the network and that one that used to be there is gone, uh, you're already at a handicap, right? You already uh, don't know as much of of about your assets as you should. So I would tell people start with awareness. Start with um, asset under like understand what assets you have, uh, and then look to see what regulatory uh, assets aspects of your business that you may not be considering. Um, and then from there, I mean, you know, there there are frameworks that I encourage, you know, people to look at NIST, for example, or uh, even, uh, you know, the frameworks that are around something like ISO uh, 27001. Uh, those are all great places to start. Um, but to, to tell you, you know, spend your money here, spend your money there. I, I wouldn't be so bold as to start with any type of state like that. I would say spend your time first. Uh, and, and and typically what you discover there will greatly reduce the 
uh, possible places where you will want to spend your money, the places that you should spend them will probably float to the top and present themselves. I, I love that answer, David. I appreciate you w- walking us through through that thought process. And I guess a follow up, part B to that. You know, you, you've been at this for for a long time, and you know it wasn't that long ago. I mean, arguably, it still isn't. Some organizations where secure cybersecurity gets delegated to IT, right? It's not elevated to the board. Or, or, or executives, I, I recognize this change. This is dependent on on sector, and and uh, you know some sectors are be- better than others. But where do we need to go to keep elevating cybersecurity out of the IT doldrums, so, so to speak, and make sure that it is seen as a true business risk and not just something that the the IT team handles? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I had a uh, I wish I had a nice easy answer to that one because this is one that we um, this is one that we are in in my. Uh, my opinion, we're kind of playing with fire uh, with the way that it has gone around today, um, because without business leaders having um, a piece of that uh, problem, let's say, which is understanding the application of cyber, right? Like you said, it ends up being, you know, leave it, leave it to the nerds in IT to worry about it. So that's very perilous, right? Because those folks, and no offense to IT people, I'm one myself. I have, you know, nearly 30 year background doing this, but um, no offense to those folks, but they typically don't have full business knowledge to even understand uh, that they see the world through a technical lens as opposed to, you know, the strategic lens. And so, for the uh, decision makers or the, you know, your actual leaders, let's call it the, even at the board level, they uh, have that other vision. So you, we have to find a place, you know, that puts the two together. Um, and so unfortunately, I think, you know, until something terrible happens, uh, you know, some type of uh, cyber event that makes it self-apparent uh, as to why that needs to happen, until that comes about, we're going to have to figure out uh, how to get those two cultures to get along better. Uh, the the uh, leadership, technical leadership and strategic leadership needs to come together. And one thing that I'll tell people, uh, if if uh, your listeners wanted to be motivated by a concept uh, in that or in that in that vein, is that it is a huge uh, uh, it is a huge uh, mistake, in my opinion, to think of security, cybersecurity as an IT function, if nothing else than to realize that those IT function, the people who execute that, they are uh, at odds with wanting to secure things because they have the obligation to get things done related to the business. And typically security is seen as a hurdle to those accomplishments. Um, so if you have uh, kind of the tucked away cyber as part of your IT process, I would argue you have the wrong people doing it even because they're not, uh, they're actually incented to not do those things because they have those other things that they have to get done. So you almost want to have policy and security be their own thing. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of companies get that. That's why you see uh, the delta between a CIO and a CISO. I, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people who get like, oh, we probably don't want to put all these eggs in one basket because then, you know, you got, I forget what the expression is. You got the fox looking out for the hen house or something like this, you know. Uh, but that's kind of where you end up with if you're not careful. Um, so, but to answer your question, I, I, uh, what I, what I fear is it's going to take some, you know, crazy event to make everybody realize it. You put that together so nicely. That's a, that was a sample of that chicken soup for the cybersecurity soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. Yeah. Chopped it up into its own little piece there, David. 
and, and I think segueing, uh, you know, in, in the, into the bigger picture and put kind of putting that together when we're talking about managing risk, what are the, what are the metrics we should be looking at both from a tech lens and from that business and strategic lens? What are the, some of those kind of dashboard things we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah. Also, uh, that's a tricky one to answer truly because it comes down to, you know, the individual, uh, business itself, um, and the appetite of the people who operate that business to accept risk. Uh, and that is unfortunately, uh, not a universal aspect, right? There are people who are risk takers and there are people who are not, uh, both of those people, uh, turn out to be successful. There are, you know, very successful non-risk takers in the world, but then there are very successful risk takers. So to, to answer that outright is tricky. You, again, you kind of have to back up one step and say, before you start to app measure anything, you should have some idea of uh, how much risk appetite you have. And uh, how much understanding of your operations do you have? And where are the risks? And then start to look at it. Okay. Now, how do we measure these? How do we, uh, which of these are most important to us? Cause obviously you can't measure every risk, right? Uh, again, let's use retail as an example. Your customer base coming into your store are part of your business risk. And I don't mean just shoplifters, but someone could lose their footing in your store. And, you know, that's a risk component. So do we measure how many people come into the store or do we measure how many people fall down in the store? Which of those things should we measure? Hard to say, right? It comes down to, uh, the strategic leadership and their understanding of the business. Uh, and then again, what's their appetite and understanding of the risks they have. Very nice. David, one more quick question for you. Kind of going over from technology and into people, um, in a healthy organization, what is the role of humans? Who are the people you need on your cybersecurity team, both throughout the organization and actually in the cybersecurity department? Um, and what are their skill sets? Um, so there's two, I would say there are two components to this. One um, would be you need people who understand the adversaries. So you need someone who's like potentially, I hate to use this term, uh, but criminally minded. Uh, you know, how does this break? So you need the kind of uh, what people like to think of as the classic hacker mindset. You know, you need those um, who understand the motivations of the adversaries, not the technical components. I'm talking about, you know, uh, what are the reasons that people break the law? Uh, and someone who doesn't just see the world as bits and bytes and packets, but someone, you know, who says, well, when I was poor, uh, you know, I would have wanted to do this, you know, that type of human component to it. The second human aspect to this that I think is often hugely over, uh, overlooked because we have this, again, this, um, this idea that security is perhaps a state of existence as opposed to a process. Um, and we often overlook the need to have a human. Uh, component to how you interface with your own company. You need somebody on the security team who understands the culture of the company. They need to understand, you know, what are the individual human drivers? Uh, and not just so that you can identify an insider threat, uh, but it's so that you can get the entire organization to be willing uh, willingly participate in the security process because every user of an enterprise is part of the security mechanism. Uh, their ability to remember passwords, their ability to follow policy, all of those things require this concept of buy-in. Uh, and I would argue that uh, you need to have somebody in your cyber practice uh, who is an expert on the human intelligence of your business, of those humans. Uh, so 
sorry, kind of a wandering answer there, but uh, but I would say uh, don't not to overlook uh, the, the other need. David, this has just been an absolutely fantastic episode. Um, uh, the the insights, the wisdom, uh, you're clearly nourishing Christian's starving soul. So uh, uh, this has just been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you so, so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. We're very grateful for your time today. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, it's always a pleasure, uh, in particular, uh, to get out and expose people to these concepts. Uh, I, I really think that there is uh, a huge potential uh, for uh, non-technical leadership to get more involved in the security process uh, and not in some kind of like pull your hair out way, but in a like, I'm really glad I was here and was able to help solve this problem kind of a way. So I'm always happy to uh, try to, to help build that bridge, if you will. Love that mindset. Love that mentality. Uh, David, thank you again so much. And Chris and I will be uh, right back to wrap up today's episode. Well, to call that a fantastic episode would be a colossal uh, <laughs> understatement. Um, gosh, yeah. What, what was one of your key takeaways? And I mean, David just dropped so many truth nuggets there. Well, as is my custom, I mean, I write notes. I wrote a lot of notes here and a lot of takeaways for me. I think kind of the fulcrum of the whole thing is he was talking about IT and their actual mission and their te- through their tech lens is fundamentally opposed to cybersecurity. <laughs> so uh, you can see kind of a, a, an inherent conflict there that, uh, you know, we need to solve. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, to his point, I think, you know, poor incentives shape poor results there, right? So the, incentivization for IT is more of again, keeping the lights on and getting things out and keeping things operational. And, um, like and that's said, coming from an IT person himself. Yeah. Right? right. So I think that was, that was, a, I think those are just great things for um, you know, business owners and executives to really understand that mentality, right. And be able to uh, recognize that structurally, you know, if your organization is lo- large enough, the um, head of security should not be reporting to the CIO or the chief information officer. They're, they're just fundamentally opposed. So um, just D- David just said so many Great uh, truth bombs there. So uh, I know that's an episode you and I are going to probably listen to again and again. <laughs> I'm sure our, our our listeners and viewers will watch again and again. But a very sp- special thank you to David for joining us today. And as always, we want to extend that special thank you to our loyal listeners and viewers who join us each and every week. If you did happen to miss an episode, do check out old episodes uh, on the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page and or on your preferred podcasting platform. Till next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again next time on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.